Is your path being subliminally made for you already? Are your thoughts, feelings, and behavior identifiable by someone walking by the street? Is the education system not for you or made by someone you're not familiar with? Are the middle class more or less likely to donate based on their wealth? And what's inspiring that? Welcome back to the Aboutcast. Today in the deep rabbit hole, we'll be going over the wild world of the socioeconomic classes. I'm your host, Julian Gray, with my co-host, Jordan. How are you? I'm doing great, man. Uh, I'm excited to talk about this specific topic and about this podcast because I reading this academic paper, I found it to be quite interesting to see how much of, um, you know, it's almost like we're sponges and not only do we soak up things, but we show what we've soaked up. And so I think that this stuff was just like a wow, what an eye opener in a sense. So I'm, I'm really hyped about it. How about yourself? How are you doing? I'm doing grand. This white paper was truly phenomenal in a lot of ways. I thought I understood what was going on between socioeconomic classes, but from what really looked like a 10,000 foot view. And this is a 25 page in-depth, highly cited paper from the British Journal of Social Psychology titled The Psychology of Social Class, How Socioeconomic Status Impacts Thoughts, Feelings, and Behaviors. I think that to, and let's just jump right into it. Um, the things that this this paper kind of talks about is uh, the actual, and I think the same thing that Julian alluded to with saying the title is exactly how your status, as far as your socioeconomic status, affects your thoughts, your feelings, and behavior. And I think that that obviously then shapes your world as well. You know, your thoughts and your feelings and your behavior is exactly kind of the base inputs for almost any decision that you make and anything that you react to in your life. So this is how I I mean, granted, maybe I'm feeding more into this than really needs to be. But I think that this is something that's super foundational for almost to piece together and make sense of someone's life as something that you can actually extrapolate upon like it has so much weight to it and maybe you know people are going to say like well obviously like you know your socioeconomic status is going to affect where you end up in life but i think that it's more of who you are is what this thing is alluding to julian what do you think about what i just said agreed men lie women lie numbers don't and one of the things that stood out to me was they go into this portion about education. And from my point of view and the background and socioeconomic class that I was raised in to the socioeconomic class I'm in now. So this document looks at your middle class and then lower class or working class as the two mains. We've heard, you know, in America, you have lower, middle, and upper class. Um, there's a variety in between, but the education portion essentially was saying that people who come from a lower socioeconomic class or the working class believe to themselves that they aren't going to fit in or apt or are smart enough to go to these established, reputable, higher education universities post high school and it kind of never registered for me in that way because I think 
on my perspective, once again, I felt lucky to be empowered to do what I wanted to do and go where I wanted to go. But I could easily see how if you're born in a small rural community and, you know, your parents wanted you to run the farm, they don't want you to or ever talk to you about going to the Harvards or the Cambridges. They talk to you about going, oh, go to community college, go to the local state college, skip college. And that's all you know, because that's the class you're raised in. And that's the cycle that they've been raised in as well. That's a really good point. And not only do people encourage, you know, your surroundings encourage you to do whatever, whether it be, I think that was a really, I was waiting for you to drop the, you know, stay on the farm, uh, you know, take over the dairy product business, date your cousin. Like I was expecting that little slide jab in there. Um, but back to the, back to the kind of, um, you know, being more engaged and serious about this. Uh, not only is that, but there was a really interesting piece in this paper that I thought was something that I didn't realize to be the case until, you know, I thought about it. And so this paper, which we will absolutely have linked in the description, it talks about how school affects how people's thoughts and ideas and behaviors are as well. So, you know, when you think about school, you think of kind of the melting pot where it is very, you know, you get out what you put in. If you put in a lot of effort, if you study hard, then you will excel at school for the most part. But in this paper, it actually said that school is quite built and cut out for the middle class in the fact that um, a lot of middle class behaviors and ideas stem from kind of being an individual and finding like a source of creativity almost, it sounds like, from there. So I think that being that that is how these people think and feel and behave naturally school what school does and i think to julian's point exactly is that it almost augments that so it's either you excel really well because not only do you have those characteristics that help you with being kind of an individual and thinking you know being a creative thinker but then that sets you up for oh do i enjoy school do i not like school what subjects do i like in school and how far you're going to pursue it so also another nudge in the direction of kind of keeping on your socioeconomic um track or your almost like um shoot i'm forgetting the exactly what it is but it's almost like family line working like uh, jobs so in india like people are either like like you know someone's grandfather was a rat hunter and his great-grandfather was a rat hunter before him and so i have to be one as well uh, and i think it's almost like that obviously way softer and it's not there's no bars or you know anything that says you know you were in a lower class family or not lower class but working class or even below family so that means that you have to stay that way yeah and that's something that they they go into talking about is when they give these students in a survey they give a mixture of the class a test and they gave them two colleges or universities in one survey and then in another survey the same students took one with a third university mentioned two of those universities were being close and local third being a little bit more reputable and higher tier and those lower class students 
typically scored less on identity identity compatibility and um, lower anticipated acceptance. And to Jordan's point, it's because if all you know is how to drive a taxi or farm or work a retail store, you're not going to identify with the concepts of some of those higher education schools. But Jordan, what I do want to touch on is how you're talking about education being made for the middle class. When I read that, the way I related it was the examples that you see in school from a very young age is your typical, at least in America, middle class family, right? It's a mom and a dad, you know, siblings, maybe multiple, maybe the grandma, grandpa, uncle, everyone's in the picture, everyone's happy, um, you know, typically of a certain race. However, in a lot of lower class or working class families, you might have a split home or a single parent or, you know, bouncing through different hardships that some of that working class and lower class never feels engaged with because that's not how their life is going. And that goes into that that bigger concept we touched on in the beginning was of how that starts to shape you early on in classes where, yeah, you may be very, very intelligent, but if all you see is nothing you relate to, you may not push yourself to achieve those goals. Yeah, that's a good point. I want to backtrack to something that you said initially um, at the very beginning of that, because I thought it was interesting that you said it this way. Uh, So you said, you know, as far as lower class goes, they may not be fit to I mean, I'm definitely summarizing your point. So tell me if I missed the mark. But you said you mentioned kind of if all they know is how to drive a taxi. I think that basically what so if all they know is how to drive a taxi, then they would not be set up for the education system because it's quite a bit different and you need different things. I think it is if all you see around you is the behavior or the specialization of doing something specific that doesn't align. So it could even be, you know, it could be something totally different. It could just be an artist or something like that, which I mean, granted, that's quite creative and individualistic, I believe, but it could be something totally unrelated. And I think that human beings are, you know, we're just specialized machines. So whatever we do, even though we can do so many different things, once we are exposed to something so much, our body and our brains get used to it and almost make shortcuts in dealing with that phenomenon or experience. So I think that that is also something that probably helps shape the, you know, our ideas, behaviors, and feelings when it comes to, um, you know, our brains and our neurons obviously fire on certain paths for certain stimulus. And if one gets nailed so many times, then it's going to be the one that, you know, it fires quicker and easier and, you know, that track doesn't get disrupted as much. But going forward after that, uh, I think that when when it comes to kind of tests and things of that nature, it's also kind of, you know, it's another breeding ground for this to manifest itself, obviously, like I think you alluded to, where some people are good at taking tests, some people aren't. But not only that, but some people, uh, you know, self-select to be good at taking tests. And I think that that self of identity also kind of pre-selects somebody from not being good at tests. 
So if you didn't feel like you were attached to the education system, then you necessarily wouldn't feel like you're good at taking tests, even if you were good at taking tests naturally. So I think that there's so many ramifications to this. And also the kind of, I definitely wanted to touch on this point um, just because I think it's so interesting where I talked about kind of the individualistic um, your characteristics of middle class and even upper class. But also what that means is that if you look at it the other way, so lower class, then that means that they actually were seen to be more context about contextualism. And so what that means is that whatever experience happens in their life is almost like bracketed or set in the scene of this happened because of these situations. So, um, and granted, you know, I'm not trying to say anything negative, but from what I've kind of, from my thinking, what that means is that there is a lower sense of responsibility when it comes to the things that happen in their life. And maybe that's because there is, is not respond much responsibility or like, you know, things that they have to take action in their life. I don't know, but that's what it seems like, you know, when you're more contextual and situational about what happens in your environment, that means that you understand that you have less control or you believe you have less control on it. Hmm. And interesting. I guess I could see that point. I read that area as something of those who are in typical lower classes or more empathetic and understanding of what's happening i never really thought of the the control aspect as those in higher classes are more independent and in some cases i don't know if black and white is the right term but to me that kind of reflects maybe those in that lower class who are more codependent is because they understand the others in their situation, as opposed to those in the, you know, middle class are more, it's more of, you know, sharks battling to be the top dog, so to speak, where maybe if they're in the middle class, they're more so afraid to lose what they already have or what they've gained. So it's very rigid and strict and maybe more aggressive and they take responsibility as those in the lower class are more empathetic and understanding and maybe shy away from the responsibility because they understand how it impacts, you know, them or others around them. That's just kind of how I, I read into it. Yeah, that's interesting. But to be honest, but I agree with your point and I'm not sure that there's a reason why it couldn't be both. So if you think about it, if somebody didn't feel like they had much control over their environment and that situationality was important, then I think that that would make them super sympathetic or empathetic to somebody who's going through a tough time in their life because they totally understand what it feels like to think that the environment failed me, not necessarily I did. Or, you know, something was out of my control in my experiences in life. So I can totally understand and I'm empathetic to somebody else who has something happen in their life where they're out of control. So I think that maybe those things are almost complementary in themselves and you can't really have one without the other. I mean, granted, in certain circumstances, but if you knew 
if you knew what it felt like to be out of control in a situation or believed you were out of control of a situation, then you'd be even more sympathetic to somebody who was going through that same exact thing. So I think that they it can't exist. Um, you know, they're actually dependent on each other. And now that we kind of go into this, it's also curious to me that those at the very low end of the class spectrum that has been created that based on what I read is the further down you are, the more likely you are to hold extreme prejudice or racism or sexism due to the fact that everyone around you, you view as a predator if they're in a similar social class. And that's why you see in a lot of instances heated tensions and debates between those who are working factory jobs or the working class, if you go back to the, the 40s or the 30s, and immigrants coming in. Because those immigrants who are also in working class from other areas are coming in, are going to be vying for the same position that those in the working class in America are coming for and it becomes very aggressive. But what was very surprising is this happens at every level. If you're in the middle class, you aren't necessarily too worried about those in the lower class. But if another top dog in the middle class comes in and is vying for the same position, you may have more intense emotions or feelings um, or judgments towards that person because you see them and you see similarities of yourself in their understanding where they're trying to get and where you are. I really thought that that, that point was so, so interesting. And uh, Guys who are going to be looking into this, art, this paper, uh, this is something that they say in the abstract themselves, like right off the gate. Uh, and I'll, I'm going to quote it verbatim because I think it's so good. Uh, so it says working well from here, like it, like we mentioned before, working class people score higher on measures of empathy and are more likely to help others in distress. We just mentioned that and why we think that is the widely held view that working class individuals are more prejudiced towards immigrants and ethnic minorities is shown to be a function of economic threat. And so that's the point right there. But further on, this is what it says in the same sentence and that. Highly educated people also express prejudice towards these groups when the latter are described as highly educated and therefore pose an economic threat. So what we're dealing with, and this isn't condoning every person who is, you know, a fascist or a racist or, you know, a xenophobe. But I think that people are, I mean, think of it bad up classically. The the issue that we've seen a lot and especially with kind of 2016 elections and um, the the kind of I think the class separation that happened there was there was a lot of fear of certain groups taking other people's jobs. And I think that even to my I will be honest, like some of that. I thought I mean, granted, yeah, like taking your jobs and like that happens. But I thought even kind of a a kind of a chunk or a sizable amount of that was also kind of xenophobia. But it looks like from this survey, if we can extrapolate upon, you know, what we see elsewhere, which I think is very fair to say, especially in the U S is that there's not, it's not kind of, it's more just aversion to loss. 
And it happens in all of us, in any you know class system, in any kind of situational background. Once we th- see that our resources are being threatened, we're going to act defensively. And I think that you perfectly portrayed it with the word prey, you know, the or no, you said predator. So, you know, you find that these people that are entering your workforce as predators to your resources. So well done on that point and i thought like insanely interesting and i mean it makes sense but it almost you know you have to read it and take it in to like fully digest it if that makes sense what were your thoughts on the economic portion of this socioeconomic classes because for me, I always thought socioeconomic classes were strictly defined by wealth, which is, yes, a heavy influence. However, it's not the complete influence. Um, but what were your thoughts, Jordan, on kind of the economic breakdown or the willingness, I should say, to donate or help others based on class? So one thing that I want to mention before that is that I was actually shocked or maybe I wasn't shocked, but I was surprised that um, there was something in this where basically they said that, um, you know, your 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 demographics. So, for instance, your your cultural identity. So if you wanted to be if you believed that you were or if you were African-American, that was as important as your socioeconomic status to who you were as a as a person. And so I found that extremely interesting um as far as the ability to or like kind of the i don't know how to describe the predisposition for donations i think basically that was interesting i thought that it was it was almost like reverse of what you imagined it being as far as you know obviously the more the more you have the more generous you think you'd be But from what I read, it was actually, you know, the more that you can relate to somebody, the more generous you could be. Is that what you picked up from that? I did. And I thought it was in the survey they ran, they ran two instances where the lower class and the middle class donated privately. And it was that the lower class was more likely to donate when it was privately but the middle class was much more likely to donate when it was accredited back to them, which I would have thought, as Jordan kind of alluded to, I thought it might have been a little bit different because you might be a little bit more gracious with your donations. And, you know, this is obviously based on a survey and they ran their numbers. And I'm sure, you know, with a certain margin there, this is true. It just was fascinating to see that, what breaks down is that that middle class in some cases is more frightened to lose their position or to fall classes and are less likely to be making these donations privately unless prompted that they will be getting credit and maybe gaining some more social status or social recognition to to drive them in their careers or their lives down the road yeah yeah exactly and i think that that kind of if you if you think about it and maybe i'm like you know thinking too like strategy wise or anything like that but it's almost like in in the wild where you'll see 
you know, healthy peacocks have the most colorful, male peacocks have the most colorful and large assortment of feathers. And the way, the reason why that is, is because not, well, it's expensive as hell to create all that. And it's also expensive to move that around on a daily basis and you're a lot slower. But what it does is that it differentiates male peacocks that have a lot of resources when it comes to food or good genetics to obviously clearly like female peacocks that don't have those feathers, but also not as healthy or resource rich other peacocks. And maybe I'm talking like way too meta when I'm I'm diving into this peacock metaphor too much. But I think that what that shows is that the that signaling effect that was exhibited in this in this study also um, is basically something that emulates or is emulated from nature as well. And so, for instance, the the you know the act of donating signifies that chances are you're not from and being recognized for it signifies well the reason that you donate is not only because maybe I mean obviously empathy, but also because it does signal your specific class in a sense as well. Yeah, and I I think it goes back to how class is kind of looked at as you know, your relationship to production. So if you are able to donate, you know, X amount of money and get a credit to it, it's showing the levels of resources you have or you've acquired and how society has been built on these class stilts, so to speak. And it's going to continue to boost you up. And, you know, that's where some people get mad if, you know, you're online, so-and-so donates $10 million and they're a billionaire. They're like, oh, it's only $10 million. Um, But at the end of the day, it's like, that's going to help somewhere. But it was just interesting to see that also on the lower class, the inverse, that people are still donating, but just privately. You'd figure that may be um, parallel, that they both would donate less privately and donate more in public because it's going to enhance that social class. But that's one of many findings throughout this white paper that surprised me. Yeah, definitely. Uh, to one thing to mention, one thing that I thought was extremely surprising or something that kind of, I really read and was like, wow, was there was also a study or like an excerpt in this where they talk about non-social behavior or like non non-verbal behavior in indications of class. And what they said was basically they observed people of lower economic uh, socioeconomic status with being kind of more expressive, having more eye contact when it came to interactions and being more likely to laugh. And then people of upper class status being kind of more disengaged socially or, you know, less reactive when it comes to certain things. And when basically when somebody had about a 60 second excerpt or kind of a video of who was who, they were they basically guessed it with a better than, you know, better than chance um, accuracy when it came to what socioeconomic static class or socioeconomic class somebody was in, which I found was extremely interesting. So, you know, basically not only, I mean, what that means is that people on the street, before they even get to know you 
And granted, maybe that this experiment I'm extrapolating too much upon as well, but it means that you show your socioeconomic status or socioeconomic class before you even say your name in some instances. And inherently to me, I never put two and two together. And it was interesting further down where they talked about how you had an above chance accuracy of guessing someone's social class based on their Facebook photos or Americans in this study were able to, in just seven words, have an above chance of accuracy to guess social class here again from either a nonverbal cue, a photo, or just seven words. And that's how deep it's become ingrained into those social classes, people's personalities and way of being and way of life. And the foundation of, I mean, every single country around the world has classes and it's through and through and there's multiple different ways to see it outside of just how one is internally looking at social class, but how others can walk down the street and say, wow, that guy looks, you know, like he may be part of the middle class or, you know, she maybe looks like she's at the top of the upper class or, um, you know, based on this person's characteristics, they look like they are in the, the lower class in that prejudice, ju- that judgment phase. It was interesting to see how, uh, I don't know if subconscious is the right word, but just n- doesn't trigger for you it just is naturally occurring yeah it's it's eerie and i think that that shows how deep ingrained like we mentioned going back to the title that our thoughts feelings and behavior is or maybe it's something that is almost innate in all of us where we we either want to you know we our resources so to keep our resources or maintain them or do even better, we want to make sure that we are assimilating with the right classes. Um, but either way, I think that this was an extremely interesting paper and it talked about a lot of things that maybe you didn't, well, at least I didn't realize how like boom they were in the moment. Uh, and so I think that, you know, what you can learn from this is that there's a lot of things that create your identity that you may not even realize and you may not think that shedding you know shedding your situation so maybe you were lower class and then you became upper class but have your thoughts feelings and behaviors change i think that those are even harder to change than your economic static in some cases and maybe that's a feedback loop but uh, i found this extremely extremely interesting and something that you guys can definitely get something out of if you took the time to sat down and read it you would you'd have those moments as well yeah it's guaranteed you'll pick something up that you hadn't heard or thought of before learn some more information on it and it is a 25 page read uh so finding the time you know a couple mornings here and there read a page or two but it's definitely very insightful and in many ways, depending on how you take this information, it can be motivating or inspirational to refresh your perspective on your life. Or as Jordan said, you know, your thoughts, feelings, behaviors, how you're holding yourself, you know, how you're creating your aspirations and things of that nature to change where your destination may be subliminally heading right now. Uh, which was my biggest takeaway, and I hope you guys enjoyed it too. 
Absolutely. So once again, guys, thanks for joining us on this really interesting podcast, and we will catch you next time.